Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This episode contains real stories of difficult and traumatic birth experiences that may be triggering for some people. Please only listen if it feels safe for you to do so. Welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is a freelance interior stylist. And I've got to say, when she posts pictures of her home onto her Instagram account, I just, every single little detail is incredible and I love it. I don't think I've ever seen interiors quite like it, that everything is there with a purpose. And I absolutely Love it. I adore it. She's also the mother of three. It's Africa Daily Clark. Hello. Thank you so much for having me, G. I appreciate it. Honestly, your home is (laughs) immense. I'll never forget, I, I got a notification from you when I'd just done my bathroom and I think I nearly smashed my phone. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I put it on my stories, but um, yeah, that was lovely. Thank you. But it's amazing. Like even the other day, you posted something about um, you were. There was an image of your like the dummies and the bottles and everything. <laughs> it's just so in keeping with the style that you've got going on. Nothing is there 
without purpose. Yeah, we're, we're tight on space. And I've learned that that is the only way to not go out of your mind and yeah. to just not fill the house with things that you don't need and to make sure that if there's something that we do need, as mundane as it can be, somebody will have made it in my taste, if that makes yeah. sense. So, um, But you know how some accounts, you kind of go, well, that's their nice corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you never see the rest of the house. I don't feel like that happens with you. Well, I feel like you mess. could do a 360. Yeah, no, it, it can be a mess. But definitely, I think every inch of the house has been shown. Even my husband was saying to me, um, it's a good job we've got nothing worth robbing because they've basically given <laughs> the robbers like a blueprint of our home. I think literally every corner has been shown. But um, yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank so you. thank you. It makes me very happy to look oh. at what you've done with your home. Uh, where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Oh, um, I grew up in Camden. So I was born in Yorkshire, just about, my mum's from Yorkshire and she went up to visit her mum and had me there. <laughs> and then it was literally like straight back down on the train. So yeah. Were you really early? I don't think I was early. I think my mum knew what she was doing and she needed her mum to yeah. be by her side. But yeah, pretty much all of my life in North London, Camden or Islington in between. And I've just kind of stayed here, like thereabouts. Really, really big family. There's, there's a lot of us. There's 13 children between my parents. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And six of us were raised in the same house. So we're literally like as close as close can be without getting on each other's nerves. Um, what is the age range there? So my eldest brother is 34. I'm 30. And the youngest is 18. It's not too oh, huge okay. either. Yeah, it's yeah, quite... yeah. So there's enough gaps. I mean, we've got three. Oh, I think our gaps with our three kids are the same. Yeah. So yours are now five, three and seven months. That's right, yeah. And mine are seven, five and two and a half. We've done it all, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're like two years behind me, so I know exactly where you're at. But so, but your mum, it seems like they, they've spaced it out enough so like yes. the older ones could kind of look after exactly. the younger ones. Exactly, yeah. I, I feel like I did my bit in helping in some way and I would yeah. love that help now but at least I think that got, maybe I've got it to come so uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah just keep going Africa yeah keep going maybe in 10 years time <laughs> I need them I need the helpers yeah <laughs> oh, um, and did you ever think ahead to your life and and you as a mum is that something that you always wanted to wanted to be I I'll say yes and I think maybe because I'd I'd thought I was going to do so well at it that the reality was such a shock for me. Um, but you would have had younger children in the, in the house when you were growing up. So you would have had that hands-on experience. Yeah, I, I did all the babysitting, I did all the nappies, and I think I let that delusion like really get to my head. <clears throat> Sorry. Because I thought it'd be a breeze, and it wasn't. <laughs> and so I think the first birth just hit me so hard because it was nothing like I could have imagined. Well, I guess so. We'll get we'll get to your birth, but I guess that is a huge thing as well because even though you would have had that sibling relationship, you wouldn't have had to do the physical aspects of, of being a mum. Yeah. In terms of giving birth and feeding and and even just being up in the night, yeah. like as a sibling, you're able to just sleep in your bed. Like we we both know, siblings very rarely wake siblings up, even if they're in the same room. So they are just like. Buddy can be having a night terror and Buzz will sleep through it, even though he's screaming in his face. Yeah. Whereas I think that it's very different when it's your baby and that the effect that it has on your body, your Massively. mind, you know. So when did you decide 
this is it. This is the time we're going for this. And, and obviously you and your husband, were you both on the same page straight away? Yeah, we were, luckily. We... We had thought that there would have been fertility issues. I mean, there were fertility issues. We had thought it would have taken longer, sorry, to fall yeah. pregnant. Um, my husband had quite a serious case of either mumps or measles, whatever one it was that affects um, fertility, I forget, sorry, when he was an adult um, right. that resulted in hospitalisation. And then I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so we just kind of had our head wrapped around the idea that when we were ready to try to not get our hopes up too much, yeah. which is fine. And we were actually both very open to the idea of adoption. We spoke about that a lot. So even though it felt like a while, maybe like a year, I think it still was such a shock, mm. if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And again, yeah, nothing does prepare you for it. So you say that you're ready and you say you're trying, you have those discussions. I mean, I've been on the pill since I was 15. So even like planning that aspect of it as well, but I think it still just came as such a shock. Well, and also because, so I'm the same as you, I just thought it would take so long. And, and you know, you spend years going, mustn't get pregnant, mustn't get pregnant, mustn't get pregnant. And then there is still that thing within you that you're just like, <gasps> yeah. like you're so shocked, even though you know that that's what you've been aiming for, yeah. that's what you've been hoping for. How did you feel when that test said pregnant or those two lines appeared? Immediate excitement. And I, I think... I think maybe it was maybe from that time that things started going a little bit downhill because I I remember FaceTiming my best friend from the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew I should have told Jamal first. I remember FaceTiming my best friend and she was over the moon for me. And then I remember that obviously I couldn't wait to tell Jamal in person and I knew that he would be over the moon as well. But then I, rem I think that realisation that there was no one else to share that happiness with immediately... I think when you come from a big family, but are not necessarily, or at the time anyway, able to share wins in that way, because of the varied age group, my family are all living their lives. Yeah. You know, it's not this thing of there's just a few of us and we all oh, we can't wait for the first grandchild or anything like that. It wasn't that. Um, and I think that that maybe like isolation kicked in quite soon on that realisation. Mm. And did that just slowly build throughout your pregnancies, you think? Yes. Um, I remember going to the doctors for bad migraines. I mean, really, really bad. I get migraines now, but a week long. And I was working full time. And I, I'd literally go into work. I was managing like a nice little store and I'd, I'd put sheets of cardboard down on the toilet and I just laid on the floor because my migraines are that bad. And I remember going into the doctors and saying like, yeah, I, I can't really cope at the moment with these migraines. <clears throat> and I thought I was going in to, to get help with the migraines. And I left um, and she kind of like already diagnosed me before giving birth with postnatal depression. Yeah. And um, it was just very apparent. I must have just offloaded on her, which was good in a way because they kind of, you know, they put that in your file and there's supposed to look out for that. And I, I already had things... Um, that had put me as high risk that I would be predisposed to postnatal depression but that didn't make it any easier because then I had this dread of, of giving birth when mm. I started to look into it more that maybe this is going to be 10 times worse once baby's here and I never really was able to get ahead of that feeling to yeah. be honest and um, yeah I imagine if you're already feeling awful that I did 
especially at a point where you know that everyone else is saying to you, oh, you must be so excited or, you know, all these joyful things that you're meant to be feeling. And when you're not feeling that, you're feeling quite the opposite. You must almost dread what's coming because it's, you must feel like it's just going to get worse than this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. It was a hard time, to be honest. And um, I didn't really have... I didn't have anyone in my family to talk to about pregnancy. I didn't have anyone to talk to about how they handled depression. Lots of people in my family suffer from depression. We know that, but we don't talk about it. We know it. Okay. It's not shameful, but we kind of just all acknowledge that we're all going through our own things as well and give each other yeah. space like that. So, yeah, it was a difficult time. And I Were you able to connect with the pregnancy at all? No. No, no. I, I think I've got two bump pictures. One, somebody else took of me at the baby shower. Yeah, so I, I wasn't able to have that kind of pregnancy. Um, but maybe because I wasn't anticipating it so much, I didn't feel robbed of that either. Yeah. Yeah. And then what was your, what were you like going into the actual birth? Was that, because I, I feel like so many of us just focus on that. We don't yeah. actually think about what's to come after. Yeah. But were you someone that was fearful of it? Did you do hypnobirthing? We did. We did hypnobirthing. We scraped that 300 pounds together. We were so broke, <laughs> but we scraped it together. We're so glad that we did because it kind of yeah. gave um, my husband a role. Yeah. And we had a great practitioner. She was very realistic. She had had a C-section yeah. while she had also practiced hypnobirthing. So she gave us like, all the scenarios and we went in very in control. Mm. Um, I went to two weeks over. So there's that doubt already. You, yeah. You're thinking, oh, I'm probably not going to be able to get water birth. I'm not going to be able to do other things that I want to do. But the birth, <laughs> the birth was just horrific. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was horrific. I, I won't even go into detail just in case someone is pregnant now. But it was so bad. It was very drawn out. You know, they, they had to do all the stages of induction, which I appreciate yeah. now with hindsight. And they try to do things as natural as possible. And then when this doesn't work, they're like, run its course. And it wasn't offered any pain relief. And my husband got quite annoyed at one stage. And she was like, you put it in your hypnobirthing booklet. You didn't want to be offered pain relief. <laughs> you don't think about things like that, do you? No, you don't. Because also you read the books and you're kind of like, well, that's going to be me. And this, you know, my body's meant to be doing it. It's fine. And you don't, I think, so I did hypnobirthing and I think for me, it's all about kind of going, allowing yourself to accept that anything's going to happen and that you can't control it. Absolutely. And to just be as calm as possible in whatever situation arises. Yeah. But I do think there is also that part of you that wants to remain a purist, especially before it actually starts. Yeah. You know, and it, yeah, so it, I, I get that. I get that it would have been on your nose. But oh, yeah, did you, at any point did you get drugs? Yeah, I had dimorphine, which is great. Had that in the bum twice. <laughs> and, and there's a 12-hour gap between when you're allowed. But that's how long my labor was. Jeez. It was shocking. And then, yeah, I had to have an epidural, which I felt was tragic, but obviously isn't. And my best friend was in the room. And then my mum, who didn't want anything to do with the birth, just turned up at the hospital <laughs> and the doctor was like, well, you can only have your best friend or mum because obviously you want your husband there. Yeah. Um, so they, they had to keep tag teaming and my husband was trying to negotiate my mum out of the room. <laughs> what was it like, though, seeing your mum when you are in that position? Was there know. something that was kind of like 
comforting in no. in having her there? No, no there wasn't. <laughs> so, this is not the plan, <laughs> Mum. Yeah, and, and I think it hit the best when you try to be so much in control, don't yeah. you? Yeah. So that threw me. My best friend was leaving for a flight at 9am, which she booked because it was like two and a half weeks after the yeah. due date. So she thought she was absolutely fine. And in the end, I think I just wanted Jamal. So my best friend sat through the epidural with me because um, that was really hard on Jamal, knowing that I really didn't want it. But basically, because of the final strategy that they'd planned to deliver baby, they just said, you're not going to be able to take the pain. You know, when they give you the, the drip hormone yeah. um, to increase contractions. Yeah. So we did that. And I had signed for personal health reasons. I had signed long before a no blood waiver. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sit you down with a psychologist. They sit you down with a hemoglobin specialist. You can't just walk into a hospital and say no blood. It, they really do well before hormones get involved they talk you through all the options so I'd sign this and I had four different doctors come in and tell me you need to sign a new declaration saying you're going to accept blood and I said I'm, I'm not doing this in this state like that's why yeah. I was glad I had my husband there for me to advocate but they were basically saying that it had to be a c-section and they didn't feel comfortable doing a c-section without that and I just basically said you know unfortunately the whole reason why we did this whole thing was that you guys have signed that you have all of the alternatives in stock. I, yeah. I, I'm sorry. Um, so in the end, we gave birth in theatre, but it was just four sets. Right. So they had planned to the wire um, cesarean, but obviously tried to avoid it as long as possible. And after it was done, I mean, it was awful. I, I literally pulled my hypnobirth and eye mask down the whole way through. They kept saying, pull it up. You, you need, I was like, I don't want to be part of this now. This is so yeah. far removed from, at one point I had someone doing acupuncture in my feet without my consent. They were just trying everything. I just felt like a cattle at that point. So we're in theatre now, my husband's there and I'm left, after the baby's here, I was left on the table. Obviously I was having like a reaction to the accumulation of the drugs. I couldn't hold baby, I was shaking quite violently. I was left on the table for 20 minutes while they looked for a missing piece of equipment. Oh, my God. And my husband's been frantic, but obviously no one can prepare you for what to ask in that scenario. That That's yeah. not something we'd ever discussed. So my husband did ask what it was, and they said it was a swab. So that made me less frantic. I'd imagine a giant pair of scissors or something was stuck inside me. <laughs> You're standing near the airport and beep going through. Exactly. And, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden they found it. Right. And I stayed in hospital for two days. And after two days... I was in so much pain, I asked the midwife to examine me and she retrieved the swab. <sighs> and they never put it on my notes, Devana. They they never acknowledged it. They never brought a doctor in to discuss why that and how that had happened. It was literally just this nurse that had gone, oh, sorry about that. And I didn't really acknowledge it until this third birth. Right. When I sat down again with the hospital team because I had concerns and I... I said, I want to talk through this experience. I, I need to know that shouldn't have happened. It's obviously past, it's not blame game. But if you tell me that that's normal, I'm not giving mm. birth here. Because if you tell me that it shouldn't have happened and that that's enough for me, then I can move past that. And of course they yeah. were horrified. So only really did I get closure for that until four years later when my son was born. But yeah, that really did stay with me. And I think that that, whole experience I mean nothing could have prevented the type of birth that I needed that I needed assistance 
I gave birth in a fantastic hospital, world-class hospital. But yeah, these things unfortunately can happen. It's possible to not get the support after. And I think their concern was making sure that baby was healthy, which I appreciate. But I very much felt like after that, it was just, yeah. So I don't know what happened for us to be confident enough to have a second. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but also <laughs> at that point, it's already on your notes. Yeah. Your prenatal depression yeah. is already on your notes. Someone should have been taking that little bit of extra care to make sure that you were okay. You know, yeah. Did your GP afterwards talk about what did they ask? No. GP, no. Um, so the person who first diagnosed my postnatal depression was my health visitor. And only because no. I wouldn't let her in the house. Really? She, yeah, I wouldn't let her in the house. I mean, the house is a mess. But when I say mess, it was actually like filth. It, it, it got so out of control. I'm so embarrassed because it's not like now I've got three kids around. I was just a baby. The baby wasn't mm. making the mess. But it was shocking so after the first visit I didn't let her in and um, my husband was at work and he must well he knew something was wrong and he did absolutely everything in his power to make sure that we were treading water I mean yeah. absolutely everything and I really do always feel quite horrified when I look back on that time and realize that although I was going through what I went through he could have maybe assumed that this was just normal and so didn't have any clue of what kind of outreach or support he could have had access to. It got to the point his route to work was past the hospital. Right. And then he's saying to me one day, I can't do that journey without feeling sick. And then I realised how much it had affected him as well. Being in that position of, you know, I was quite delirious during it, but having that like helicopter vision and just seeing it all play mm. out. And I think and that fear of exactly you, so the, fear, the woman that he loves and his child, you know, all of that being so out of control in a, in a time where you've tried to find that control with your hypnobirthing and everything like that. I just it must be so awful for partners. Yes, I, so I did. I, I really, really did feel for him. And I think until we realised what it was, until the health visitor was able to say this is this. And you can yeah. have support. We didn't actually get support for it. We we were only told what it was. And then we were told where to get support. And I wasn't in a mental capacity to do that. But that was enough. Mm. Um, because just understanding that this total disconnect is caused by something was like yeah. the turning point at the very least. It wasn't immediate, but it definitely did help. Yeah. Yeah. How long did it last with you? Um, so until the health visitor established what it was, I think Israel was like four or five months, which in hindsight is nothing. I mean, I can't believe my son is seven months now. Yeah. But as I say, that was more just a turning point of us understanding it. Yeah. We've got ourselves in such a bad place. We still needed to kind of like come up for air from that. And really the first thing, so I will share just in case it helps anyone, the health visitor said to me, when you speak to her, how do you feel? I said to her, I don't speak to her. And she said, oh, why not? I said, she doesn't, she's a baby, she doesn't speak. And she said to me, I'd really like you to treat her as if this is your friend's child who said, I need you to look after my baby for me. Yeah. And that was like the turning point of literally just faking this 
dialogue when I was doing her nappy or when I picked her up in the morning when I was getting her clothes on. If you imagine, Javana, so my husband who had been at work eight hours shift, he'd been out of the house 10 hours a day. There was silence in that time. Five days a week, pure silence. Obviously cries from both of us. Yeah. Um, and that was such a, it so, sounds so obvious. You know, when I see people and they're like talking to their baby mum, we never did anything like that. It just felt so yeah. alien to me. And I guess that's why it was so difficult for me to then, once baby was here, I think especially because I didn't hold her straight away and all of that. So that was a real changing point for me. And that was the start of it becoming easier and the mm. bond becoming more established. How does it make you feel looking back at that time? I've made peace with it now. Yeah. I've made peace with it. I was so guilty for so long. When my second daughter was born, all I could think about was don't ever let it be like it was before, but also how is my eldest child going to feel watching me have this great relationship with my second child? I mean, she was only two. I literally could not. I felt this huge tug of war of, well, you, you can't be unwell. You cannot be unwell. Like Even if you feel, you know what the signs are now. Even if you feel like it, you also know exactly what you have to do. You have to treat this like a role. You have to do all these amazing things. I actually, I went away for six weeks. Mm. Just me and both girls. How old were they? Ezra was nine weeks. No! Yeah, yeah. and Israel had just gone two. And my poor husband was like, don't think if you do this. <laughs> and also, like, what? That's like, that's like yeah. one extreme to the other. I was like, not I leaving the house, this. not letting anyone in, and then taking them. Where did you go? Went to Spain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to Spain. My... My, so my daughter was in this nursery, which was crippling us, bleeding us dry. So I got over the postnatal depression, but my depression was still quite prevalent. And so I went back to work very early. And I, we literally decided between us that for the harmony of the family, there wouldn't be any surplus income, but the girls would be in childcare. Um, childcare that we were happy with. And that would kind of like take away from the guilt from me of what I don't offer them that sort of thing and obviously feeling fulfilling at work meant that I could come mm. home and love my kids and like show them the best of me for that concentrated time frame so this nursery was bleeding us dry I wasn't seeing any money at the end of the month like literally not a penny we was in a one-bedroom flat with four of us living there the girls are in our room they built a new build flat right in front of our window in that time <laughs> so it's like no sunlight and then I said to my husband, I found an Airbnb, which is cheaper than Israel's nursery fees a day. <laughs> and he was like, okay. I said, I really and like to where go. And where are we going with this? <laughs> I, said, I said, I feel like I need to go. Um, and I think he thought it was a joke for a little while. My sisters thought it was a joke. My mum thought it was a joke. I just thought, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not paying this amount of nursery fees. Mm. I also don't want to be with just my youngest. I want that opportunity to make up to my eldest. So we found an Airbnb, it was so, so cheap. It was like 26 pounds a night or something. Easy jet flights. We didn't lose out, out any money on nursery, basically. I took my eldest yeah. out of nursery and we went there. My husband flew with us there to drop us off. And then came back and went to work. And then he came to pick us up at the end. 
I had my sisters come out to visit for just under a week. I had my best friends come out to visit for a few days. And really, you know, having a husband that was such a supportive structure that would do a full shift, come home, make dinner, right, like scoop me up, like let's let's do this. I know you're not feeling well, let's do this. We've got to do this, the kids are here now. I felt like I needed to not even give him that opportunity to fall into that role again. Right. Because he does it so well. And I needed to be in the middle of nowhere. It was literally middle of nowhere. It was like it was like rural Granada, like mountainous. Yeah. So I did that for six weeks. What was that like? Because obviously that's like dedicated time. I imagine it's a little bit like lockdown one. Yes. Where nothing else is going on and you're focused yeah. in on your family. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, very similar, actually. I'm so glad I did it. I think everybody was expecting me to come home within a week. Really? And I I could have stayed there forever. It was it was so surreal. It's like doing an eat, pray, love with your kids and, yeah. and not feeling like, you know, because that kind of thing, you feel like you've got to go by yourself to find yourself. But I actually just, I had a sling for every occasion with my newborn and I just immersed myself with my two-year-old. So I didn't feel like I was neglecting anyone. And, you know, I, I got to know my daughter. When my when my eldest went from childminder to nursery, I had to fill out this form. I couldn't fill it out by myself. I had to get really? the childminder to help me. I didn't know what her favourite foods were. I didn't know what words she was... I didn't know anything. And that was the guilt all over again yeah. of, okay, I've got over the postnatal depression, but my depression is having such an impact on my parenting even though they might not be feeling it so I thought I don't ever want to be in that position again I want to be mm. able to tell everyone about my child the ins and outs of them and honestly I could not bear the thought of coming back from hospital to that one bedroom flat doing the summer there with no garden no balcony no sunlight I couldn't bear it yeah couldn't bear it so yeah we did that and it was amazing it was just what I needed and that it's, really helped us have a more of a balance when we came back yeah. as well. Well, it's amazing as well how taking the pressures of everyday life away, how much that can help yeah, so yeah. much with your mental health and your bond with your children, you know. I want to oh. be there now. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah, were you? So were you worried going into your second birth? having had did anyone talk to you at that point so if you're saying that you've only just come to pe come come to terms with what happened first time round what how were you going into labor second time we just literally we didn't do another hypnobirthing course we just went through all of the materials that we had again and yeah. we were literally just like how bad can it be there is no way it's going to be a three-day labor it's impossible it can't happen even if it does happen you've had an epidural before you've done all of this um, oh, God, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and that was your attitude? Yeah. Well, it was, I wanted, at the time, I wanted six kids. So okay. <laughs> so you were like, let's get a move on. We can't, we can't be holding back, but let's not right. look back. Let's look forward. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, we were in a good place. And I also had, had just, like, promised my husband, because I kind of, like, had this okay-ish track record now of when we'd come back from Spain that I was doing okay and I was managing. Yeah. And I also just said to him, like, we know what it is now. If we need support, you've got my permission. I'm not going to divorce you if you, like, run to my sisters and say, like, I think she's, you know, in a bad place. Because there's that fear on his side as well. What if it was just yeah. baby blues and he's going to tell my family, like, this side of it? 
and I kind of just knew what to do if I didn't have that connection. Yeah. Um, and the birth wasn't great, but it was very straightforward, very quick. Again, I was 42 weeks. I'd gone right over. Um, have, you, have you been 42 weeks with all three? All three. So that is just your normal, I that's know. your normal body. I've got to come to terms with it now, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's like you get to 34 weeks and you're like, oh yeah, I can't possibly get any bigger. And of course you do. Oh yes, you can. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I say that that was a very healing birth. It wasn't perfect. And there was a lot of things that shouldn't have happened, but it was, it was very healing after the first one, definitely. What was it like, the girls meeting each other? Lovely. Yeah, my sisters came to bring Israel after nursery. I'll just give her a little shout out because she'll listen. So the morning of, it was so quick with Ezra. The morning of, the plan was take Israel to nursery. She was she used to go for eight hours. And um, my sister would collect her and then come to the hospital. It was, the day I gave birth was the day I would have had to have been induced, basically. So right. we knew. And I remember getting to the bottom of my lift and calling my sister and saying, change your plans. I'm in labour now. If you could not go to work and meet us at the hospital gates and we'll literally <laughs> pass. Like, Jamal didn't have time to drop Israel anywhere. Like, we'll meet oh you there. Oh, my gosh. And my sister on the phone was like, oh, OK. And she stepped into the road and she got hit by a bus, Giovanna. <gasps> no. I'm oh only my laughing gosh. because... <laughs> Every birthday, she's like, it's my anniversary. <laughs> We've just had it. She was How bruised. bad was she? She was only bruised. But um, I was just... she was she able to come to you? Or was she like she got taken ambulance... to the same hospital? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she got a lift. She got a lift. So that's that's good. Oh my goodness, <laughs> you can't make it up. Yeah, I'll never forget. So I called her as I was about to get into the lift, and by the time I got out, I um, I got a call back from her, and it was a man, and he was like, "Don't panic." <laughs> So obviously I was screaming at that stage, but it was yeah. all good. It was just bruising. She went to hospital to be checked out. Um, oh, oh my crazy. God. Yeah. But she's so lucky as well. She's so fortunate. She's so fortunate. And I, I didn't want anyone to know I'd gone into labour because I didn't want the hassle of that family and stuff. Yeah. And obviously she didn't have to tell everyone. <laughs> they were all in the hospital for her. Yeah, this is how it <laughs> happens. Um, but Ezra was here in like 20 minutes anyway. So, really? The my yeah. second was like that. Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How did your did you do you feel like how did your body cope that time round? Right. Did it behave differently? Well, I I didn't have any drugs. That's a lie. I had gas and air, but I was in control of my body. Whereas the first yeah. time round, I, I mean, I'm teetotal, and then I was hit with all these drugs <laughs> that I've never had before. Um, so I had no control of my body. So I think just allowing it to. I mean, I was literally like, um, oh, I need to push now. She was like, there's no way you need to push. And I said, I'm very, very confident that I need to push. I told her I needed to poo. She was like, oh, no, that's just pushing. I said, please pass me a bowl. For my husband's sake, just pass me a bowl. Like, I just knew. So I did feel yeah. very much in control yeah. of my body that time around. Yeah, night and day first, night and day. And what was it like meeting her? Lovely, because it was just... We was, we was in the birthing suite, it was obviously the first time it was theatre. I was just like in the room, yeah. just able to do what I wanted. They, they let me stay in, in the room next door um, for a full 24 hours, even though everything was fine. Whereas normally they would have asked you to check out quite soon. Whereas after I had Israel, even though it was so traumatic, I was literally just on the labour ward straight after. 
with just like a tissue paper thing in between us and baby next door had jaundice and had like a UV light going. I mean, you'd think, you know, they kind of go, look, guys, we left a swab in her. Should yeah. we just bump her up into a different, should we give her a wall? Should we do that Would because be of the nice, swab? Wouldn't it? The yeah. thing is though, with Israel, we had all of that like luxury until the baby was born because it was taking so long. Right. So our idea of what was going to happen was so skewed. Jamal had his own bed in the room. It was crazy. <laughs> and then, yeah, obviously, um, after, it was a bit different. Um, but, yeah, it was yeah. very, very peaceful. It's lovely with Ezra. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. What was your body like third pregnancy-wise? Uh, during the pregnancy? Yeah. It was very much like um, it knew what it was doing. I had a bump when I was literally eight weeks. I looked visibly <laughs> pregnant. So I felt confident as well because I felt like yeah. my body's telling me it's used to this. So maybe that will apply to the birth. Did you ache though? Because I found that having the other two to sort of run around with, pick them up, do all of that stuff. When I was doing the washing and bend, it was such an effort to yeah. get back up again. My body hated me yeah, third time yeah. around. And a similar age gap. So I think yeah. they're, they're very active ages, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but all I will say is that I had most of that pregnancy during lockdown. Of course. So that was surreal. I, I literally, we've got a scrap of like a little like patio outside. I just sat there in the sun. It was hot from since April. Yeah. And um, I had my feet in a bucket for about six months. It was great. <laughs> and no school runs, which was brilliant. Yes. Was it, so how did that compare? Like COVID bliss. lockdown pregnancy? It was bliss. bliss. Yeah. Really? I really do feel for anyone who had their first pregnancy in that time. I, I wouldn't yeah. make light of it. That doesn't compare. My best friend yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah was pregnant at the time and we had always planned oh my gosh when we're pregnant at the same time it'd be great we'll do all this stuff didn't get to any of it and I really felt for her but for me who didn't need the you know the very clear things like a baby shower and like go out yeah. and buy the pram I didn't need any of that I actually loved it so what was the what was the labor like this time around because now you've had two very different pregnancies under your belt you know not to expect anything because you always get the unexpected. How was it? So I I wasn't a difficult patient at all, but I, I went into the birth armed. Right. Um, obviously, my husband couldn't attend any of the appointments or anything of like course, that. So that yes, was very different. Yeah. And we had had, in the gap from Ezra and Isaiah, my youngest, the embrace report had come out. So we now had all these really harrowing statistics that proved that there was a disparity in healthcare between black birthing women and black birthing people, sorry, and Asian women and black birthing people and white women. And 
I, I kind of just, you know, all of that retrospectively, you're like, did that factor into my experience? Was it fluke? Was it this? And you really shouldn't play that game because it's done. But what I did do was make sure that I went into every single appointment confident that I would have every question that I was worried about answered. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a, oh, you're, you're busy? Okay, I won't ask anything. I was asking everything. I, with Ezra, this really disappointed me. I had planned a water birth and then I arrived and they were like, oh, actually, because of your no blood waiver, you can't have a water birth, which isn't true at all. Isn't true at all. But we wasn't in a position to argue and it was yeah. a quick birth. And I always felt a little bit rubbed. So I, I literally had to um, have like written conversations with the head midwife of the birthing centre to, I had to get her to write a declaration to say, that although there may be many factors on the day that we can't control, the fact that I signed this waiver isn't one of them. <clears throat> yeah. And that all being well, I should be able to get all birth. And um, they did really well to like quell my fears. I called them obviously before I went in and I, I walked into the room and saw the pool full and I just burst out crying. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously my husband wasn't even allowed in the room at that stage. Oh it was gosh. like that stage of lockdown. It was like, oh, not until we've examined you. I knew it was going to be another quick birth as well. And, so and at that, that point, had you had you had a conversation about the first birth and been told that yes. shouldn't have happened? You had. Yes. So I'd had that in like one of my um, checkups with my midwife. And, yeah. and so I knew that. But I also, it was the same hospital. But the other hospitals in that area were worse. So I kind of just thought, <laughs> just, just go with it. Got in the water. My water's broke. And there was meconium in the water, unfortunately. So I had to get straight out. And had to leave the birthing centre. I was okay oh, with it though. I was okay yeah. because I knew that they had held up their end of the bargain. They'd yeah. let me get in. It's out of your control. Exactly. It's out of everyone's control. Exactly. That had sent my anxiety a lot lower. Yeah. Um, and then we went to the labour ward. And it all just went a bit peak-tong. They changed over midwives. And it was just all very hectic, which I understand. My husband was in the room. I still said to him, even though it's hectic, press play, get all the things out. I want everything going. Get it going, get it going. So he'd set up my little aromatherapy going. It was so silly. I, I love it. It's like it. you're making a slideshow. What are you switching on? Are you having like a little cinema in Had there? everything <laughs> going, all my songs. And I, I don't choose hypnobirthing songs. I choose like my favourite slow R&B. So the next... <laughs> It's what makes you happy. It? It's what makes yeah. you feel relaxed. Exactly. We don't all want to hear harps. It's so true. <laughs> We've kept the same playlist since the first birth and just like added to it as songs have come out. <laughs> but it kind of puts us at ease. And very quickly, we realised it wasn't going to be straightforward. So basically, it was very, very quick. But Isaiah got stuck. So he had something called shoulder dystocia. And the midwife said to me, if you don't do this, the baby's going to go back in. And I was like, I'm not child. I know that doesn't really happen. And that's when she had like pressed the buzzer and was like, no, I'll explain it to you after. It's, it's really dangerous. What um, is it? So basically the shoulders get stuck, the head is crowned, but because of where the shoulders are, if they don't manoeuvre the baby out on that push, the, the baby could literally go back in and... I don't quite understand why that's dangerous, but it's then not, you can't just. Do I it guess again. by that point, there's maybe not enough liquid or 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But it's called shoulder dystocia. Um, so that happened. And because of that, everyone had to run in. There was an issue with the midwife that we were really upset with how they handled it. So right. upset. This midwife who had just taken us on, it was an older African lady, actually. And we felt confident in her care. And she had she's the one who spotted it with shoulder dystocia. She's the one who's raised the alarm. She she, you know, we're verbally listening to everything. And um, but we're calm because we know that they know what they're doing. Yeah. And she said, This is what it is, this is what I've seen. I need your support to do the XYZ. And a senior midwife said, You need to leave. To the midwife. And she was like, Nope, I've got it. She was like, You need to leave. And she like physically like moved her out. And me and my husband were like, <sighs> This is the only woman we felt safe with. I don't know what's yeah. going on, but it's not normal anyway. So baby was delivered and they had to do like a some like really crazy things with my legs to get him out safely, which we appreciate. And after they all came in and apologized, we, we didn't even say anything yet. We were like, yeah, when this is done, we're gonna they all came in and apologized. All the like senior doctors were like, we're so sorry how we handled that. We we thought that this was that. And my husband was just like, yeah, now's not the time. The midwife, we said they needed to apologise to the midwife. The midwife came in and was like, they've apologised to me. Thank you for putting your foot down. I can't believe that's happened. They Did they say the why they sent her out? They misread the situation. And they, they didn't allow her to explain that she'd got it. Right. Um, but what we had said was, you know, in that scary time, you just... You, you didn't fill us with confidence at all. Yeah. Um, and well, also, your mind's not on that. Your mind is on yes. why is that happening? Yes. So the, in that short, short space of time, our midwife had been called out and she'd said, like, oh, she's she's crowning, I can't come now. And she'd been called out, like, three times. Like, they're waiting for you. The, it just got so silly. But anyway, they apologised and she came in and said they'd apologised. And I've got my notes now, so I've got a bit of closure and they've called to kind of, like, Acknowledged that they dealt with it really badly. Um, but I had said to them, um, I understand what level of pain I'm supposed to be in. But what isn't normal is I've got really, really severe pins and needles in one leg. And for the first time in any of my births, I've passed quite a large amount of clots. I've never done that before. And, you know, I'm wearing those like, big like nappy knickers I'm yeah third time around you're not doing those like cheap disposable <laughs> knickers you're doing like, juicy. Yeah. so I, I knew that this I was able to say to my midwife like look this isn't normal um, and I was like okay we keep an eye on it keep an eye on it so again the pain is being managed but this pins and needles is really like getting to me and it persisted mm. gee I've still got it to this day what is it they fractured my coccyx <gasps> In those, yeah, in those manoeuvres. And, like, full disclosure, that can happen and that's not neglect. That, yeah. That's, unfortunately, like, in that scenario, it is very life or death. And I appreciate that. But I wasn't taken seriously for the pain. Yeah. And it wasn't until Isaiah was four months that I even got an oh MRI scan. Oh, gosh. Didn't even get an MRI. Everyone just kept telling me third baby you'll have this you'll have that you might have a bit of incontinence pins and needles could be anything and now that we know what it is it's one of those injuries where it's manageable and takes years to heal right and 
you just have to get on with it which I just find so well because I guess where it is it's not like there's nothing you can do yeah it's actually less painful to walk than it is to sit down really some days it's excruciating I can't do anything other days my husband would be like how's your back I'll be like oh didn't feel anything today really still got the pins and needles that haven't left <laughs> is it um, not is that not eased up at all no um <laughs> yeah it's very very strange and I, I think I just said to my husband that like, I still actually would love to have five kids but the thought of anything else to my back yeah do you know that like, you injure yourself and then you see someone do something like my mum injured her ankle she broke her ankle and she says when she sees women wearing high heels she mm. physically feels sick nothing's happened but she feels sick I feel like that of anything to do with your back. If someone just like twists or... <laughs> yeah, so the, the thought of having another birth and having that pressure and risk, yeah. I, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's seeing... Because at the moment you're not healed. No. And especially um, if it's going to take years. I mean, that that throws away your two-year gap. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I said to him maybe, maybe when everything's you know he, he's gonna feel because he still only wants three I'm like you're gonna get to a stage when the girl's a bit more grown up you're gonna want one more so maybe by then um the back will be fine but but by that point you might feel good in your within yourself yeah. and be like I finally feel good do you want to put yourself in that position it's again true. you just Not never know do yeah. you yeah, so I actually feel a lot more closure around that birth because I had a full debrief after right. than I did for any other births. I understand that even though it sounds quite horrific that it could have happened to anyone, it couldn't have been avoided and that my son's safety was paramount in those moments yeah. and all that silliness that happened with the midwife didn't actually have any bearing on the end result. So I appreciate that, but... Yeah, it's, it's also made me really acknowledge that there's no set way to give him birth. There's no. no, oh, my birth's are easy or my birth's are difficult. All I know is that I carry full term and then some. Yeah. That's the yeah. only similarity I've had. Do you think the fact that they gave you a proper debrief this time round is part of the reports that came out in terms of... No, you know, I fought for it. No. I oh, really? And actually, I had the debrief with a nurse who wasn't present. And I said to her, uh, we need to stop this here because those notes don't correlate with my experience. So I'd like right. to speak to the actual woman. I, I knew her name. I wrote it down. I'd like to speak to that head midwife yeah. doctor. can't remember. Um, because I want her explanation. I just want to know that they weren't impacted by the other. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I now know that they weren't. But I needed yeah. to hear that from someone who was in the room. And I also said to her, your notes weren't accurate. And to the point where she didn't know that I fractured my coccyx. She didn't know any of that. I said to her, when I have another birth, my medical team will rely on your notes. Yeah. It's not about placing blame, but it just, I need to make sure that if I am to have another child, that there's an accurate depiction of what happened and the end result as well. Oh, it was really surreal. I put her on loudspeaker to my husband and he was like, I was giving her all these suggestions of, um, you know, I said to her, obviously you understand more than I do that shoulder dystocia has X, Y, Z possible side effects. And I said to her, you have a duty of care mm. to follow up to ensure 
that those things haven't happened because you they never so did any checkups as well. Nothing, nothing wow. at all. Um, and she was like, wow, that's a great idea. Thank you so much. I've really got closure after this. And my husband was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very, very, um, I mean, we laughed at the time, but it was very weird. But yeah, I it is incredible as well how people don't know that if they've had traumatic births or they just want to talk through them, that that is a service that they can. Yeah, it's within their rights to go and do that. Yeah, I did. I didn't know that at all until actually Illy, who you featured on your show yeah. before, she has a service where she does debriefs. For me, it was essential that it was the team that yeah. took part in my birth. But that's the only time I was aware of it. And even then, you could have had that first debrief with the doctor or nurse who wasn't part of your birth and taken that as face value but I knew that I needed to fully have closure on it which meant speaking to someone who is present well I mean it's much nicer that you've had it within a shorter space of time than than four years yeah Yeah, but definitely closure though definitely closure it was a quick birth um, and I am just so grateful that it was a safe birth because I didn't know about shoulder stosia and now I realize that is one of the um, unfortunate things that can result in you not coming home with your baby. You know, when you think of like, oh, in a normal safe birth, how can it go so wrong? That is one of the things. So I'm just very grateful. Is motherhood what you expected it to be, Africa? Not at all. For all the right reasons. Mm. I am so, I feel really fortunate to have something to remind me that I am not the center of earth because <laughs> it, it could get that way. You, you know, if, if life was going great for you, for example, which obviously it isn't always, it can be very easy to think about like me, 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 how do I propel this? All of that. My children, and I'm also not a person who's like, Oh, every single thing for my kids, not at all. But I'm like, wow, I've got a five-year-old. I remember being five. So I have to make my five-year-old feel like it's her story and me and daddy are here to support you we do have a life not a very sociable one but we do have a life but I'm so glad to have a focus like an anchor almost Mm. Uh, that's for me the best part of motherhood I I see you know I I have friends and family who are similar age to me like in their 30s and they are so desperate for the next best thing all the time whereas having children has allowed us to be like wow we're so fortunate that we're able to live in this lovely two-bedroom flat in a lovely part of London that's down the road from mum down the road from siblings whereas I think without kids I'd have this pressure of like I must have this I must have that whereas we're just grateful for what our surroundings have allowed us to do and have allowed our children to do so yeah it's been really grounding to be a mum yeah um I'm really as I say we're not big on like gender or anything like that but I'm really excited to have a son because it's very easy to be like oh have daughters and empower them and do all the opposites of what we've done but what do you do when you've got both yeah so there's a great picture I can remember seeing of um, a mum and a little girl and a little boy. And the little girl is wearing a top that says something like the future is women, something like that. And the little boy is just looking over really confused. And I just think as a mother of boys, that image is in my head because yes. 
it's so important now that we think about how we raise them, what do we show them, especially everything that's been happening in the last couple of weeks and all Absolutely. The, those sort of things that it's brought up. You know, it, it's... Yeah, I get. Yeah, it's completely changed the landscape in terms of how we bring up boys because we are empowering girls so much. Yes. So it's empowering girls, but we can't therefore take the power away from boys. It's, it's got to be an equality thing and a respect thing yeah, for everyone, it, you know. And it, it, it's uh, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting, an interesting one. I think definitely, but being aware of it and all the, all the things that we're saying to them, you know, making sure that they can cry and they can do all of that yeah. stuff. Um, we we did know. we felt we felt confident in the way that we were trying to raise our daughters. Yeah. Um, whereas now with a son, that is a challenge. So we're we're excited to have to learn yeah. um, how we can do those two things simultaneously. Because as you say, that image, I can just imagine it already. Yeah. Yeah. If you were going to write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would it say? You can write to anyone. You can write to a phone. You can write to a breast pump. You can write to your boobs. You can write to your <laughs> mum, yourself, your kids, your husband, whatever, whoever you like. I would write to all the underrepresented mothers. That isn't mums who look like me. That's anyone who doesn't see themselves in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that by you being you, somebody seeing you, I felt very validated seeing another mum not taking it in her stride on the bus, for example. Yeah. That made me feel okay. Yeah. Because we don't see that side of it. So I, I would write to anybody who, who doesn't feel like they see themselves and mm. just remind them that them being them is so empowering to other people who don't have it super easy. Yeah. It's like when anyone ever shares any anything that they feel is a vulnerability or a weakness or something that they failed at, actually it's so impactful and powerful to other people that are feeling it. Yeah, definitely. I have three sentences that I would love you to finish. Being a mum means... It's not just about you. Since having children, I... Never get to have a bath. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy when... <clears throat> I'm happy when I take stock of what I've got. Thank you. That's so lovely. Africa, it's been a pure delight to talk to you about your experiences of motherhood. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.